Welcome to another crossover episode with Writing with Machines, a rad group of English teachers who get together to discuss technology, teaching, and composition. In this Writing with Machines conversation, my colleagues and I explore the technologies in history that have shifted the way writers process and produce texts. To see more from this and other Writing with Machines discussions, check out the show notes or search Writing with Machines as one single word. Thanks for listening. All right. So I was uh, thinking for this conversation, we'd focus on just the, the the sort of mediums of writing and how the different tools and surfaces that that folks have used to write throughout history, those are constantly shifting, right? And it's 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 absolutely true that the materiality of writing informs what happens in that particular writing process. It 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 shapes the the, the writing itself, right? Uh, the different fonts, the different forms. And in doing so, it, it tends, it, it shapes the individual as well as as the society, right? So writing in really interesting ways, you can, you can put it right at the center of historical changes, right? Um, so I had, I had recommended a documentary and I didn't expect anybody to watch it. So we, if we did, we can chat about it. If not, we can just sort of have it there to, to kind of reference and, and play around with, maybe watch later. Um, but I wanted to start kind of big picture like that. So like, how are we thinking, how, how, in your experience, you know, in, in like college or whatever, how are we thinking about writing technologies and mediums, et cetera, we can start big picture. And then I thought as, as the conversation evolves, we can zoom in more, more locally. Like we can start talking about our own writing processes, maybe different shifts in technologies. Like Jake and Jake was just talking about email. Um, so, it, so interruptions in our own experiences that have caused these changes. So we could talk about that. And then that might give us a way to, to then at the end, talk about um, these new generative AI technologies, if that sounds okay. So, um, so any, any thoughts? Did anybody get a chance to watch that documentary? I'll just ask and I get no pressure if nobody did, but just, just, to, just to open up there. I started watching it like right before the meeting. So I watched the first 10 minutes. I watched the, the, uh, goofy guy with the calligraphy which was fun um and but that what that got me thinking was and the same thing with Marianne Wolf too when we were reading that book is like the the way that that conversation it, about what writing or reading or whatever was is never framed around also the idea that when writing or reading or whatever that was was like that the population was also mostly not writing or reading and only particular people had access to that form of technology or, or that knowledge. Um, and I think that's always important because it always sort of idealizes what the past was in terms of reading and writing when so few people had access to it. Um, and that's like, again, this documentary is not framing it that way. And, and then it talks about Egypt and hey, Egypt had hieroglyphs. Yeah, but like how many people were actually using them and and that kind of part of the conversation. And that's where I, I ended. I got as far as Egypt. <laughs> cool. I got to just after Egypt. So I watched about 20 minutes right before the meeting. I turned it on as I was prepping. Um, and, you know, the same thing, I, I thought the same thing as Daniel, that idea that you know, it's not framed as, you know, that that writing was accessible to everyone, right? It was more so that, like, there these few people 
had the ability to write and deliver writing and show it to individuals, um, you know, those few, very slim few. And then there were some who could, you know, um, read and translate that for others, right? Um, what I thought was cool, I got to the part about papyrus and how, you know, it was in abundance around the Nile. And like, it was almost, it's funny because when they were talking about it being carried around by these like scribes, it, it reminded me of like, you know, uh, how people carry cell phones now, right? Like, you know, if you're a writer and you have your cell phone, you, you're never without parchment, right? You, you can always like type it down. I used to carry like a little notebook in my back pocket, but I used to lose those everywhere. I mean, there's writing probably all throughout Boston and Virginia that I've written down and I've lost, right? <laughs> but your cell phone becomes a new papyrus, right? Like you have that ability to kind of like scribe. Um, and I thought that was was pretty cool to see them you know, actually go to Egypt because I, I really starting the documentary and they were like, oh, you know, Gutenberg and the print press. I was like, oh, they're just going to gloss over the Egyptians and not even say that they started writing and were able to, you know, create papyrus and 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 uh, have these cool hieroglyphs. So I was glad to see them like kind of go back to Egypt and look at that process. It is still used today, right? Papyrus is still something that is used to scribe and document information um, throughout Egypt, which was really cool. Yeah, I got to the same part. And then I think I talked, the guy was talking about right, doing the vellum too, um, the animal skins and stuff. That was, that was pretty good. Um, yeah, I liked it a lot. I thought, I'm, I thought I want to integrate because we, in my, one of my classes, we talk a lot about, we, we I introduced a class to the Phaedrus and, you know, writing as a new technology and the, in that dialogue specifically, the apprehension about writing as, a new technology and remembering. And then we talk about, you know, orality and um, what writing does. So I thought, man, I want to integrate this and it's 50 minutes. And it was so, I thought it was well done. So, um, and it definitely prompted a lot of conversation, it would prompt conversation with, with students and stuff. Cause I'm, it's interesting when I, when we have a, we do like a, an exercise of trying to imagine ourselves in a world where there was no writing and then that actually was a part of our evolutionary history and it just kind of like it blows my mind but students like when they ponder on it it, it kind of blows their mind too like to think of a a time when you didn't there was no, no no such thing as a way to jot down even just your grocery list you know or to carry on information like we get to those higher order ideas like who who is it that retains all of that information and what do they in retain when it's you know only composed orally before it was written down yeah that's so it's so interesting and i agree i my 202 class our first unit is a project that we the, the, the question is what is writing and we we use walter ong as kind of a a, a primary sort of a lens text um who's asking these questions he also points at plato and this kind of anxiety, right, in the Phaedrus. What's going to happen to knowledge? Oh my gosh, we're not going to remember anything. Ong, Ong kind of relates that to our feelings about the calculator and how the calculator is going to ruin our ability to do math, right? Because we'll we'll stop memorizing and internalizing, and we'll just sort of put that exterior. Um, but you know, the there's so many directions to take this, right? But but to to Daniel's point. This documentary, and hi, hi Shelly, oh, Shelly's still connecting audio. <laughs> uh, the documentary after Papyrus 
talks about parchment and then goes to paper, which originates in China. And one of the, one of the points it makes pretty clearly towards the, the middle is just this, 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 this observation about who has access and right. And how parchment, because it's so expensive, like using animals, you have to kill something to make a page. Right. And it takes so long, not only to process it, but the surface itself, it actually gets so like, like textured that you can't write quickly on it. Right. So you can do like two pages in a day versus papyrus, which is like, it's so fast. Right. And it even has lines on it already. Right. So you just kind of go. But, you know, so what happens to knowledge and what happens to who has access to knowledge between, uh, you know, medieval Europe and China as it, as, as it makes paper um, it's just completely different, right? In terms of who has access. But the other point that the, the documentary makes is the writing in uh, uh, with Chinese characters is so complicated, right? There's so many of them that there's a whole, there's another level of elitism. And who has access to writing? Well, those who really not just memorize the character, but really practice the art of that writing, right? And so writing is always connected, Daniel, to your point, to who who has access who doesn't have access um and 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 maybe we can maybe we can keep talking about that we can go a little further hi shelly hi <laughs> good to see you we're just we're chatting a little bit about um the big picture writing mm-hmm. mediums different technologies how those have shaped history in different ways um mm-hmm. We're talking about that documentary a little bit, but um, yeah, we'll just kind of exploring broadly too. Mm-hmm. Cool. No, the documentary is interesting, particularly like the loss of literacy as um, it sort of developed. Yes. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Once you once you lose papyrus as or just easy access to writing materials, then literacy right rates mm-hmm. of literacy is dramatically. Um, yeah. So I, I kind of feel like, and I don't want to go too quickly forward, but I feel like this is when we say things like texting is ruining writing, or we say like chat GPT is going to kill the essay. Sometimes what I think we're really worried about is who is going to be writing and creating knowledge and who should be writing and creating knowledge. Does that, I see lots of bouncing heads. Does anybody want to pick up on that or? Do we want to explore that a little bit? I was just, I mean, the thing just bouncing around my head is how tied this is to, for instance, like the longer conversation, but what has been going on with AB 705, 1705, whatever that, 20,005,000,005, whatever it is at this point, um, and that idea of access, like the idea that like the college English classroom is being ruined in some way, um, but it's mostly just like, an, it, it's, it's that not only that particular segment of students are being allowed access into that class, it's everyone with different forms of expression and different sort of histories of expression and and uh, uh, sort of feelings about reading and writing, et cetera, then moving into that space. So that's why it's easy, I think, for like us to think 
this idealized past when everyone was wonderful writers or whatever, because it was just a particular amount of people that were being able to allow to write. And usually they were allowed to write because they could write in a particular way using particular media, media with whatever, um, with the, the resources they had to do so. Um, and so there's a parallel there, I think, with what's happening to the classroom and why there's a lot of anxiety around this idea of like chat gbt too like ruining the essay because there's already this feeling by within education that the essay is gradually being ruined because more people have access to writing it and don't want to write it in the way that we want them to you know then you make a, a lot of great points like that idea of you know access and when we look at you know, where our students come from, like even in the chat, you know, Shelly naming that, you know, her brother went to a school, Poway Unified, where they were told calculators would always be around. But I went to a school where we were always told that like, you'll never have a calculator in your pocket. So you need to learn this without a calculator. And I think the same exists in writing, you know, different districts approach reading and writing in different ways. And, you know, what AB 705 did at least cleared the way that no matter which district you were in, you can come to us and apply the writing skills that you have. And we're going to work to ensure that you have the writing skills necessary to transfer, right? Um, and then the overall style of writing, right? Like what is writing today, right? Um, our, I think the fears behind chat GPT is that like, well, well, now a machine can write this for you. And that means you haven't learned the skills to be a prolific writer when in reality is like most people don't become prolific writers and then still move on to the field that they want to pursue right and the way we look at you know writing or grading essays or standardizing essays like that that process in itself is inherently racist right because that's how it was set up at first so that only the few could write and be legible and provide messages to the masses right and so for i think you know what i I'm, i try to remind myself of, of as i'm grading papers and, and working with the essay is that like you know the the standard five paragraph essay or any essay that we kind of look at has its foundations in, in colonialism and racism and so that means we're already reinventing the way we look at writing and so chat gpt is just another like area where we're going to have to think about okay how are we reinventing writing um for our students and as you know educators in our spaces and what styles of writing do we accept um and you know i'm even thinking i i i you know so many of our students rely on these tools and they are aware of them if a student were to come to me this semester and say hey mr prescott you know I use ChatGPT to kind of assist me with writing this essay. And then what's my response to that, right? Is is it like, oh, no, that's plagiarism? Or is it more of a, a curiosity? Like, well, how did you do that? And what did you learn from that process? And how does that process align with what we do in our spaces, right? I think more and more our conversations about writing and the fact that we're having this conversation is is exciting because we are reinventing what, writing will look like for the future. Totally. Yeah. 
Um, and I and I appreciate Chubby the the distinction you're making. Um, Daniel, you you mentioned this like how how we write, how we're supposed to write, right? In air quotes, right? Like how we want our students to write. And Jabi, you making the distinction between, well, sometimes when we say how we write, we mean process, the like how you got to that sort of expression and what you wanted to share, but also we mean forms and style, like like the 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 the, the composition of it on the page, right? Uh, uh, how it's how it's structured, right? Um, and I think in both of those, we can we can we can approach that with sort of in, with inclusivity and open-mindedness and, and curiosity, or we can approach both of those um, imposing some kind of right expectation um, that may or may not fit with individual writers whose processes are unique and or expressions that are also unique uh, uh, to, to lived experiences or cultural um, um, expression, right? Um, and so I think that's worth getting into a little bit because different and maybe we can talk about process. Let's explore process just on its own for a second before we get into styles. Because different mediums afford different processes, right? Um, if we think about that documentary really quickly, like the slow texture, right? That really informs like a, a contemplative, I, I can't move quickly, so I'm really paying attention. I'm really thinking versus more of a, a speed, right? Where you're just flying through. That's That's, you know, you get more on the page, but what your brain does is a little bit different, right? Um, and so, so like, what what are with our students, especially like, what kind of processes do we all encourage? Like, like, what? How do you start a project with your students? Like, you want them reading something? You want them writing something? Do you encourage note taking? Do you let them write notes on anything? Like, what what are just a couple of our experiences that we might where where we are kind of right now? I mean, I like to start with students' ideas before they read anything, just like on whatever the topic idea that we're going to be looking into, sort of like where they're starting at. So just anything at all. Yes. Yeah. So very like open. Yep. Um, yeah, that's awesome. So just kind of like our, how do we think about this topic at this point? What do we know about this so far? What questions do we have before we- Yeah, and- and usually like really, really broad, so not 100% focused on the topic even, but just like in yeah. the realm of. Uh-huh, for sure. Yeah, I'm really, I really emphasize, like I spend a whole week on this. Like, do you like paper? Why do you like paper? Do you like your phone? How come you like your phone, right? Like, what is it about that surface in your brain that makes that the thing you want to put your brain on, right? Um, uh, yeah. So, and, and journals, reading journals are, are really important in my composition classes. Not, 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 not necessarily quizzes. I don't really do quizzes. Um, we definitely do discussions, but I want to see that actual, you wrote out this thought, you wrote down that quote, it made you think this, like, I want to see that roadmap. Um, yeah, I'm in the realm of like journals, uh, the, the splatter page, like Shelly named, like throw it, let's throw it all on the canvas and see, see what we can create. Right. Yeah. Um, and I, and I also acknowledge that like, you know, even for me, uh, I process or outlining or brainstorming in several different ways, right? I might do sticky notes. I might do a journal. And so I, I acknowledge that for students and students will often name like the same thing that like, now I have to start on my phone because I'm all thumbs or like, I really need the pen 
and the sheet of paper. I have to write it out. And I still have, you know, every semester I have several students who submit everything written on a notebook with a picture, you know, and that's how they submit it. And it's perfectly fine. They're like, sorry about the handwriting, but I'm like, nah, I'm an English teacher. We, we got yeah, Exactly. We can read that stuff. We practice it. Yeah. Um, and, and then just like, you know, acknowledging that there are that are those different styles of getting started with writing, right? Like there, there's no one way that is correct. Exactly. And that's, that's, I think for some of our students, that's, that's an aha, right? Because some yes. of them have come from regimented English teachers who you do it this way and the entire department does it that way. Like yes. one student, when I told him he could do a spotter page, he's like, I'm supposed to do Cornell notes, right? And I was like, you can, but you don't have to do Cornell notes, right? You can do what makes you feel most comfortable. And he was like, word, I don't have to do all that stuff. Like, and he started drawing and like throwing everything on the page. It's exciting for them to learn that like, there's different ways to process writing, which so many of us think, you know, I think so many of us were taught that now this is the one way you do it. And if you can do it this way, you'll never be wrong, which isn't, that's furthest from the truth. Yep. Ah, that's awesome. Well, it's funny because I have a student this semester um, in a poetry class and I give them all like journals at the beginning of the semester. So like we're handwriting everything. Um, but she goes home and she opens her computer and she like works on her poem, works on her poem, works on her poem, and then like writes it in the journal. And it's like, this is my like first draft, but it's yeah. like this highly um, crafted piece. And she like erases her entire like drafting, revision process, everything, because she like doesn't want it messy on the page. Yeah. And I'm just like, wow. <laughs> but she can't like write it down and cross things out and move things like right. she can't do that. She has to like have it all clean when she writes it down. Totally. That's so interesting. And, and there's a question there. Like, is that is that personally driven by her, like her meticulousness? Or did someone drill that into her, which is scary, right? Like that it should be clean. Because I had a teacher growing up who you could not cross things out. You couldn't write a squiggly line through it. You couldn't like draw arrows. You had to start over, right? And that and that was what you did. And so like if it's self-selected, well, great, because she has a process. But if it's like drilled into them, like, man, that's, that, that's scary, right? <laughs> I, I think it was created. I don't think it was her on her own. But. Right. Yeah, and th this gets me thinking about even um, beyond, because I do a lot of this too, and especially like with in-class writing, which is often moving towards thinking about essays or ideas and stuff, I now give the option, I always have a discussion board on Canvas where they can do their in-class writing typed up on that discussion board, or they can handwrite it, and then I scan it and submit it onto the discussion board for them. But this gets me thinking too about like the differences between like word processing versus a discussion board as spaces for these things. And I'm thinking like word processing is interesting because it's super recursive, but also almost linear in that way where the, the product it always is constantly changing into one thing um, and is not generally like those like multiple directions aren't happening simultaneously. And that's that's kind of why like one thing I like about discussion boards, even though I think there are a lot of issues with them, but like because one thing I do is every week they're doing some sort of like piece of writing on a discussion board. And the seek like this the big aha secret is at the end when we get to the essay is like, look, 
these are all actual different directions you could take this essay in and go back and sort of explore one of those as a possibility. I'm not big on the like every discussion board is building upon the last one towards one thing for that reason because that's so much of what word processing is is just like it seems multifaceted but it's actually pretty linear in the end what they produce versus hey actually look you have five weeks of different ideas because I think that's that's one thing students get wrapped up in in the editing process that well, I have this essay this is the one way the essay can possibly be there's no other option for of what this is going so i think it's nice for them to kind of visualize in a weekly basis that there are look no actually writing is all sorts of very different things that you could be doing at the same time totally so that that i think when we think about writing and, and what writing is versus what like aura orality is or dialogue is um it really, for me, it does come down to this sort of editorial process, this sort of what we now can suddenly do that we can't do otherwise without surfaces and tools is we can see what we've written and we can make choices about it, right? And I remember my English teacher from high school really encouraged us in like, especially like in class, like AP essay writing. She's like, don't rewrite this. This can be messy. And what you should be doing is after you've kind of got your initial thoughts down, if you want to make changes, you should be circling words and crossing out words and like arrows, like this sentence should go here. And she's like, as our audience, she said, I will read that and I will honor that. And that really gave me a ton of confidence as a writer to make choices, to not worry about the first thing that goes on the page because I knew that I could engage with it um, with agency afterwards, right? Um, and so, but to your point, Javi, like our students' experiences throughout these, these, you know, different classes and instructors are so varied. Um, and, and how writing is taught, right, um, is not always uh, encouraged uh, uh, to, to make that kind of decision. Hey, Chad, welcome. Great to see you all. Sorry, I, I'm doing drop off, so I'm just trying to. Yeah, all good. All good. Yeah, all good. Um, so we're just we're just talking about how different um, different tools, different uh, um, experiences with writing, um, um, kind of lead to different outcomes. And we're we're talking about writing process right now. Um, and we were all we were, uh, which we can talk about a little bit more. Um, but then we want to talk about styles and forms too, right? So when we when we say this is how we write or this is how we want our students to write, we mean those two different things, process and a form of style. Yeah. Yeah. Curry, um, you, you remind me that like, you know, my process has changed with technology, right? And so like Daniel, I, I grew up in, in middle school when word processing started being a thing, like we're getting computers. But I, my family couldn't afford a computer, so we, we had an old electric typewriter, thank goodness. But the backspace button on it was broken. And so, like, um, whenever I would type, if I messed up, I had to hit backspace, like, three or four times for it to, like, white out and then type in something new. Um, and in, in middle school, I had a particular English teacher who, like, she said everyone had to word process, right? You, you have to type this up on a computer. Not thinking about whether or not every student in the class had computers. And I remember turning my in and she was like, did you type this on a typewriter? And I was like, I did. We don't have a computer. And it was like that aha moment for her. Like, oh, I I didn't recognize that's where we were. Right. 
Um, but that process then, right, I could type it on a typewriter, take that sheet of paper, and then, like you said, like I could write on it. I could be kinesthetic with it. I could work with it. Um, right. As I started to shift to computers, that became a much tougher thing to do, right, like to edit within the document because Microsoft Word, when you first had it, didn't have a comment ability, right? And so, you know, if you're if you're low on prints like I was in college, I'm not printing out and doing it kinesthetically, I had to learn to kind of like catch it by eye. And so that like, that ability to like feel the writing kind of disappeared, which now yeah. I think Microsoft Word and Google Docs is brought back for me as a writer. And for many of our students, the comment feature works so well to like point at something that you want to change. Here's the exact moment where we can make a shift in that language. This is where the process is happening. And I think you know, students value that a lot because they, you know, their the feedback that they sometimes receive from English teachers or professors isn't helpful because it's like general or it just points out grammar and punctuation issues. Where now things like Google Docs, Microsoft Word, SpeedGrader allows us to like pinpoint this this section right here, and this is where I want you to incorporate the evidence I want uh, that we've been reading about this entire time or um, add in a sentence that is a supporting detail. And students can now see, oh, here is how it's set up. It becomes like an art piece, which like, you know, in the the, the documentary, like the, the idea that calligraphy can be art, like writing, you know, processing is like art, right? Because you're you're playing with all these colors and all these words and you're trying to get that perfect piece out that allows you to get your message across. And so I think that processing, you know, with technology has grown and allowed us to be like more, um, more engaged with our writers, right? Because we can leave notes, we can leave comments, we can leave voice audio. I know Aaron does that, he leaves audio marks so that they can hear his voice, right? And that's, that's powerful for our students in the, in the process of writing. It's a really, really good point. And, and earlier, Daniel brought up AB 705, 1705, and sort of our anxiety over like who who's writing and how are they writing and can we can we support students in this new paradigm? And I, I think, Javi, the point you're making is these new technologies actually make that possible. Like, and, and one thing that I think is really important for us to think about is the different material conditions of writing really do demand different cost and different labor. Right. Like one of the points that documentary makes is about parchment. Like the cost is huge in an aggregarian society. It's huge. And the amount of labor it takes to to create a manuscript is also huge. If I think about spell check and the amount of labor that that relieves, not only from my students, but also from me as the professor. Right. Uh, and then and then the cost of opening up one Google Doc versus another Google Doc. Right. Is great. so like. The cost and the labor required of these new writing surfaces and tools is, is going down. And that really is opening up who has access to them and, and, and how we can engage dialogically as audience, as authors, you know, in those spaces to really get at expression, ideas, arguments, art, poetry, right? All that stuff, which I think is really, really exciting, right? And especially as, as professors of transfer level college uh, composition classes and wanting to see those students succeed. 
Well, and I think the um, cost part, it still like comes in in interesting ways where like students don't have computers, right? But they have a cell phone, but like using Google Docs on your cell phone is really, really difficult. Um, it's not fun, right? Like Google Docs on the computer, you can like interact with a lot easier. Uh, you can do more with it. And on your phone, it's sort of like limited to what you can do to start with. But then also like, I don't know, typing, composing, trying to like see your your whole piece on this like tiny screen that a lot of our students, that's all they have. Um, unless they're able to like come into campus when like the libraries open to use the computers or I have students who do all their work at work, right? When they like get a break from work or things are slow, that's when they're like typing on their like work computers. Um, so even though like cost is going down, right? There's like so many pieces of technology that are expensive. And when you have to make a choice, True. like the one that's like easiest for writing is not the one that, that we're getting. Right, absolutely. Chad. Yeah. I was just gonna say like Shelly, I, I experienced that, um, you know, firsthand yesterday. <clears throat> or again, I guess I should say, um, you know, we like, I use Google Docs, I use slides, I use um, forms, I use all this stuff because it's, it's um, once they learn one, then they are able to pick up the other ones because they're on this, we know all this, but the, but the entry into that world is yes. not free, right? And so right. Um, yesterday, I had a student who said, um, I know we're starting a new unit, I tried to get the books, I tried to get a voucher, and they denied me. So I was like, and this kid, you know, uh, he doesn't have any money and, and he's always going to the, uh, <clears throat> the, we the weekly farmers markets and things like that. So I just said, um, maybe I have one in my office and I didn't, but I just ran to the bookstore and bought him a copy just so we can, you know, resolve that. And so, and then in the same class, a student had a computer that was just lagging and lagging and couldn't put the slides together for the presentation part of the assignment. And luckily I had a, a loner in my office, you know, but it's like in the same class, we had these barrier issues. Yeah. And then as I typed in the chat box, I thought Daniel and Jobby's typewriter comments, they touch on limitations and the resources, right? And and I just was, I do so much more writing in my classes, like a writing studio. And I'm just watching the students type up their letters or type up their presentation. And they're one finger typing, you know, they're really struggling to get it done. And then on top of that, I'm trying to let them know, um, oh, just, you could speed up your searches by just copying, pasting and doing these. And they're like, they don't know what that means. A lot of them, you know, and I'm, right. I'm having to go, oh, hit command. I, how to italicize, how to bold do things. And yeah. it's like, I take it for granted. And it was just a reminder of, I have these tools. I have these resources that make my composition process relatively efficient. And then you have students that have no literacy in these things that we we are dropping so so frequently, I think, yeah. Yeah, <clears throat> no, for sure. And I, uh, yes, um, the labor, so so that entry point of cost, absolutely. And then the labor too, I, you know, I remember as in, in high school, actually probably more like middle school, the thing I hated the most about writing was that at one point they wanted typed, right? And I had already written the thing out. And so now this next step, I'm not really making any editorial changes. I'm just transcribing from this medium to that medium. And it felt so tedious and stupid, right? Um, but it makes me think also of, I was just having this conversation with my students. So we were forced to do this like QWERTY eight finger typing in, you know, high school or, you know, middle school, learn to do that. My kids are like, just use their thumbs and they're so fast, right? 
I hate texting because my brain just, it, I'm, I'm way ahead of my thumbs and I can't keep up. Um, it makes me wonder about ChatGPT and, and how our students or just my kids' kids or whatever, like how we, so, so I'm, I'm kind of rambling here. The labor that we invest and practice in these different writing, writing methods, we internalize those things. So then when we think there is a method that for me, this is what works best when I want to get this on the page quickly. That's constantly shifting, right? And I think one of the things that I want to be mindful of in my classroom is when I say this is how writing works or this is how we write, I'm also mindful of this is how you all write or how writing works for you all, right? So how we write, how they write, that, that's a constant thing that we can be, be thinking about and, and asking about. Um, so I want to shift quickly over to style because I think this is another interesting thing we can touch on here as we're talking about the different kind of writing surfaces, writing tools, and who has access. And, and, and I want to pose it this way. Um, I want to assume that, that most of us teaching composition at this point, and who also write, that we're pretty comfortable with spell checkers. And whether we find them annoying or not, I think most of us are okay with grammar checkers too. I actually turn mine off because they just drive me crazy because I, I, I want to bend my language in ways that they don't care about. So I just, I just get rid of them, right? Um, but I don't mind if my students use them. I wonder, so this is my question, do you feel like it's such a leap now that we have tools that will check logic or that will do structures, right? In other words, are we okay with these machines getting in there and helping us and our students out with our sentences, but there's a line that we feel we're crossing when they help us out with our paragraphs or our overall structures? Do you feel like that's, and I don't mean to be creating a binary, I just want to kind of get put our finger on something that we might be feeling anxious about, but we're not saying out loud quite yet. What do you think? I'll just say it's a weird, it's, it's sort of weird to me and, and I don't have quite an answer, but one thing that I'm thinking around with that is it's funny because so much of writing instruction previously has been around just that, like an instructor giving structures um and like do it this way and and whatever and we're finally thankfully for a lot of us at a place where but also but also not actually as many people as i thought seeing what students are saying but we're at a place where that's not true anymore as now ai and other things are actually doing that so really what the ai is doing is not quite different than how it's been taught in the past at a moment where finally maybe we were shifting from that and so it's a it's a strange sort of intersection for that reason i think where creating an awareness in the students is the most important thing because like going back to the conversation about like spell check and stuff like that's fundamental and important because now we don't have to worry about certain things but students at the same time will write essays for me about like changes in how technology is changing writing and we'll talk about how spell check is bad because it doesn't make us reflect and, and whatever and so i think it's that matter of like these structures and ways of structuring things have always existed they're just shifting in terms of what is producing them but like creating that sense of awareness in students around how do we like how do we utilize this productively but also how do we challenge it which which has been 
part of the bigger conversation. Um, but yeah, it's not to me fundamentally different. Like students come in saying, oh, I thought this was what a paragraph was. And the AI will also tell them that that's what a paragraph was, but it was some teacher in high school that told them that. So what's the difference? Well, and for me, this kind of goes back to what Javi mentioned quite a while ago as to like what students actually need writing for um, when they leave our classes. Like the majority of our students need writing for the rest of their classes. Like once they're done with college, they don't need it for like the majority of their work or they need a different type of writing that goes against everything we teach them, right? So like um, police officers, they write in sentence fragments. That's all the reports, sentence fragments, right? They don't use sentences, um, right? Nursing, there's like very specific ways that you do like charting and how you structure that that has nothing to do with the writing that we teach. And so um, that's like this bigger issue is like, what is the purpose of our writing classes? Like our writing classes are so students can like be scholars, right? And write for academic spaces. As much as we like wanna say it's something else, no, like basically SLOs, like everything like that is about writing for college. Um, and so like that anxiety around it is like, what is the purpose of these classes? And right, there was that big shift, however long ago of like, no, we don't teach grammar, whatever, it's about ideas. And it's like, if it's about ideas, then like, why does any of the writing matter, right? There's ways to express those ideas and like develop those ideas and have logic in those ideas that's separate from writing. If it's about communication and like, isn't that like communication classes? There's an entire field for that, right? So it's like, what is the purpose of our classes? And I think that's where like the anxiety is maybe coming from. Um, and also that big thing of like, oh, it's not about the grammar or whatever. And then people are saying that, but then that's what they're actually doing in their classes. So then this technology comes and they're like, what am I going to do in my classes? Right. I'm going to like actually have to do this thing. I've been pretending that I do, but I don't actually do. Again, based on like what students are saying they do in their other English classes when they like come to mind. I'm just like, oh, OK, that's where we are. Right. So I don't know. The the. the concern that I have it's like even when we talk about and you guys make so many good points even when you talk about the acceptance of a spell checker or the acceptance of students integrating a grammar checker what are those things doing but using artificial intelligence to homogenize one spelling so like how would a student you know I have students read a piece by a guy named Ashante Young, where he integrates his, you know, the language of his home, where he often spells phonetically words that he uses, and he purposefully does that. My concern is that I don't have so much of an issue. I don't have, I, I think I have a clear understanding of what I do as a compositionist, at, at least the, as the way that the college defines it. And the way that I know that is the continual conversations of the institution saying the most important thing is that our students pass this course and that they are ready to transfer to another institution. That's like, that's the complete, uh, that's where all the money is. That's where the conversation is. That's where the emphasis is. It's, are they meeting these objectives, which are clearly defined, right? And then are they able to then take what they've learned in my class and apply it and have success in a four-year institution, more or less. And the concern that I have with AI is it's, it's flattening 
our students' voices or has the potential to homogenize. And that's like, I think most of us are most concerned about is not the ability of the student not to bring in their individual and lived experiences and to rely on these machines to produce their thinking or their or the, a text for them, which is just going to produce this like this homogenous, very clean, concise, meaningful, like I guess, thoughtful in some way, but it's they're all going to sound the same. And that's not, I mean, that's not something that I voice is an important voice and style are important parts of um, one's ability to communicate and to express their ideas and then to rely on a machine for that is is a bit concerning you know what i mean yeah and and that and i'll just say this quickly because daniel i see you want to jump in the nature of writing is is that it fixes these kinds of forms for us right that's just how it happens like like we write down a word you write down a word we all spell it differently Sometimes we recognize that word because it sounds the same. doesn't matter how it's spelled. As long as it communicates the idea, it's fine. But once it doesn't, then we have to have this rule that fixes the language so that when I write something, the audience I want to hear it can receive it, right? This is, this is every single writing uh, 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 language style, whatever that, that's out there. Um, and these, these machines, to your point, Jake, take it probably to that next level, right? Just that sort of fixed format. Um, and if the majority of the people are using it without making editorial choices, then it becomes a dominant language for sure. Daniel, you wanted to jump in. Yeah, I was just going to say that I, I think that like, if we want to think optimistically, the value of ChatGPT and AI in the sense that, again, traditionally, historically, that's how students have felt about English classes, just that that there's no form of expression, that they're just being asked to, to answer some very specific prompt about why Shakespeare did X, Y, or Z, and they have to give the answer that the instructor wants and produce that um, answer. And that's what students always say is like the most unsatisfying thing that has been part of their, their experiences with writing in the past. And just like their kind of, uh, cognitive dissonance or sort of working around thinking about like spell check and what that means. Like that's what ChatGPT almost allows in terms of like, hey, look at that thing that you were asked to do it before. And I think in a meeting before, Jake, you'd kind of said this, like have the ask them to have ChatGPT write the essay for them first and then see, well, this is the thing that you would have produced that's that boring expressionless thing that you're telling me in the past that you have not enjoyed. Now, what do we do with that? I think is like dislodging if all of your education leading up to this has been just allowing you to produce something that an AI can produce. Now, where do we go? Like, where do we jump from there? And what directions can, can we go in from there? And I think it's the rhetorical awareness too around like spelling conventions and when though, like then the conversation becomes when now, okay, when do we utilize those spelling conventions and when is it great, good to break those spelling conventions and go against that like expectation and that those kind of conversations that like having that foundation of look at the boring thing this, this thing could produce can then allow us to have because now we don't have to have English instruction be about producing that boring thing because the boring thing is automatically produced.
And I mean, that that boring thing that's produced is like proudly produced by like my like AP students, because that's what they learned in their AP classes is like they, you know, just like counting sentences, like that's how it was graded. And so they come in very proud of like the boring thing um, that they can produce on their own. That's um, kind of that's awful. Right. And that's a, exactly, exactly. And that 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 is produced because of a very like outcomes driven, you know, uh, program. Right. Like the whole point of taking this AP cl class is to pass that AP test. And so everything we do is moving towards that product shape in order for you to get that. It's so transactional. Right. Um, and the boring thing, too, you're making me think about is especially as nerdy writers and nerdy compositionists, like we're all about truthfulness and honesty and surprise, right? It's sort of like, and that, that Jake, to your point, that truthfulness and honesty can, can be expressed in a word, a single word and how you choose to spell it. If you're choosing, if you're making that choice, that truthfulness and honesty can be expressed in the structure of your sentence, the syntax of it. Right. And then also the paragraph structure and the whole as well. And so, and, and I, it makes me think of, I never write this, but I've had it written on my writing. That's so what, right, Mark? The kind of, okay, you have the forms. I can see your topic sentences, but you're not saying anything. What are you trying to say here, right? And, and so we've always, well, there's been an anxiety among English teachers that we want our students saying something meaningful, something honest, something truthful. Um, and just simply doing it correctly doesn't, have, doesn't quite get it, get it there, right? Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, we're almost three minutes left. Uh, any final thoughts? Any, any final questions, takeaways, worries, hopes? Can, can I say, is it is it optimistic to look at chat GPT as the great leveler? Like all of our students, as long as they can engage in a dialogue, a dialogue with, with the AI, that they all now can produce perfect five paragraph essays as long as they input the right information. So now it's like, okay, we all, there's a baseline where everyone can meet the student learning objectives, you, you know, by, you know, adopting some of this artificial intelligence. Now, what do we do with it? Yeah. And not just our students, Jake, I was, I had this thought, my neighbor is a contractor doesn't, and we talk all the time, English teacher, contractor, and he's like, I suck at writing. I hate writing, blah, blah, blah. People always tell English teachers this. And we were talking about AI and I was like, dude, at this point, you could like, let's say one of your permits get denied or the city's messing with you in some way. You literally could take your phone and talk out loud the problem that you have and the argument you want to make. You can take that text, you can put it in an AI generator and tell it, rewrite this in lawyer's language and it will and format it, right? As a letter, it'll create that. He could send that to the city. The city could send him back something in lawyer language. He could take that letter, put it into the AI, say, translate this into until I get it. He'll get it. And then he could write. So at a discourse level, anybody can now participate in a form of language, um, written language, um, theoretically, right? Um, I really wish that existed when I was taking French in college because <laughs> every time I dropped it into translate.com, it wouldn't conjugate things correctly. And I'm, I'm getting C's and D's, C's and D's. Like, I, I don't, where was this technology prior to now? <laughs> this even gets me, it got me, because Chad, I know you do that assignment that's kind of like that, where you have like real world writing. 
Um, cause I, cause I was thinking like in the past when how burdensome, like getting annoying parking tickets are that you shouldn't be getting, which I get a lot, like where I used to live in front of our house, we weren't allowed to park for some reason. And that wasn't really specified. So I'd get parking tickets and the burden of having to respond to that parking ticket and write a letter about why I shouldn't get it that now can be like produced so quickly which is good because then it people that like need to not have that parking ticket because of financial reasons can easily like dispute it but like does that like how how does that then translate into a win Awareness of writing and what writing is doing, and like be and that reflective process. And there's that tension that we often have in English between that like critical thinking and reflection and the fact that like for a lot of people they can't afford critical thinking and reflection a lot of the time. Yeah, I think that's a great point, Daniel. Yeah, I mean, listening to um, the examples, just we haven't talked about the AI as like an equity uh, tool, but when you talk about your contractor, when you talk about somebody who got a parking ticket, who can't afford a parking ticket, you know, and, and doesn't have um, an English major background, you know, then I, sometimes when I'm doing DIY projects and I have to do math, I can't figure out the problem on paper and I have to use a calculator, right? So uh, it, do I feel bad about it? No, I'm grateful that I have <clears throat> access to the calculator to do the calculation to finish my project, you know, similar to the contractor, similar to somebody who gets a ticket. I think. Yeah. So this is this is really cool. Shelly, I see you want to jump in. Oh, well, it's just something I mentioned to Curry because I was having um, issues with my 100 class last semester. My students were hitting a wall with the academic essay and they just like couldn't move it forward. But then the last assignment was to like turn that information into either an op-ed or a letter to like some power. And they just like wrote those no problem. Like they had so much to say. And it's like, why didn't any of this stuff go into that like piece of academic writing? And so I think it's like interesting in terms of like form and like style. And they felt like they couldn't write for one, but they had plenty to say in the other um, yes. in terms of, I don't know where people feel empowered or not to write and their voices. Yeah. Awesome. This is so awesome. I, and I, I have like five more things I want to talk about. We could keep talking, but I got to, we got to, I, I got to let us go. Um, so just to wrap up. So two quick things, I, I think for me and what I'm hearing, it's whatever the materiality of the writing is, it's like, do I know how to use it to its fullest extent? Do I have that skill set? Do I have that practice? And I think that's critical, right? And that's something we definitely do as compositionists, um, that process, that practice. And then why am I using that specific tool? That's the other question that's key, right? That's that critical thinking move. And if it's a bureaucratic system and there's certain power structure, I'm gonna use it for this reason because it's gonna advantage me. That's amazing, right? Um, if I'm not asking those two questions, do I know how to use this and why I'm using it? Then I'm I'm, I'm lacking something, right? I'm missing something. I, I, I can't use this to its full potential. So. The next time we meet um, for our next discussion, I want to talk about these kind of power structures, right? Um, um, so how writing involves itself in different power dynamics, um, how like colonialization, racism, um, gendered speak, like all these things persist in writing structures, um, and then how how these new AI generative tools um, um, just we will continue that or maybe these tools that we can use to disrupt and dismantle those too. So that's next time. All right, everybody. Thank you. Thank you.
Thank you. Good to see everybody. Thanks for doing this, Karen. Thanks, everybody. Great to see you. Have a good one, everyone. Nice to see you. All right.